Welcome to Midweek, a place where we dive deep into Scripture. So grab your Bible, a pen, and a notebook, and get ready to study God's Word. All right, open your Bible to John chapter 10. <clears throat> Tonight we're going to cover uh, verses 1 through 16 of John 10. And uh, as we begin tonight, um, <clears throat> you know, we Christians make the statement, you know, that God spoke to me or the Lord told me this. Am I right on that one? We, we tend to say things. I've, I've said those things. And, uh, but that can lead some Christians to start thinking things like, man, what's wrong with me? God never speaks to me. Anyone ever feel like that right there? I mean, here are the people that say, God speaks to me. And you feel like, well, God never talks to me. What, what's wrong with my life? You know, why can't I hear God's voice like so-and-so can hear God's voice. And so if we're not careful, if we don't give instruction on how to hear God's voice, you can, you can cause people to fall into kind of two, two different camps. And with the one group of Christians where God speaks to them all the time, and then the other camp where, well, God must be ignoring me. Why doesn't God talk to me whatsoever? And I think it boils down to just understanding you know, how, how God speaks. And so in this chapter, at a certain point, we're going to look at where Jesus is the good shepherd and he speaks and his sheep hear his voice. And so if he says that, then it is possible to hear the voice of God. And I'll tell you this, that the Holy Spirit already lives in every follower of Christ, correct? Yes. And since he already lives inside of you, there's already a kind of a tuning into the Spirit of God who already lives within you. So he's already there, he dwells in you. So know that. And also remember that, uh, that the Holy Spirit speaks to us in different ways, does he not? There's not just one set way that he does that. And there are certain things you've got to look at and weigh out as, as the Spirit of God is speaking to you. So we'll get to a certain point not in, in the middle of the message where I'll, I'll cover things like that, and hopefully that helps you know, everybody here and those of you uh, who will watch it later on on YouTube or as podcasts, listen to it. So in John chapter 10 and verse 1, it says this. Here we go. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. Now, here's what you've got to remember when you're studying the scriptures or else you're always going to break things up where you shouldn't break them up. In the early manuscripts of which we have, there are no chapters and there are no verses breaks. Those things did not exist. This was just one complete scroll. And so if you can always remember that, it will help you because if you take away the 10 for chapter 10 there and the 1 for verse 1 and you just pick it up from the previous chapter, remember Jesus was talking, remember he dealt with the blind man? And he gave him sight. And at the very end, he's talking about blindness. And the Pharisees said, are we blind too? And Jesus basically lets them have it. He said, you know, if you, if you had no sin, you know, you had no excuse. But since you say you see, yeah, your sin remains. In other words, yeah, you're blind. And so take that idea, that truth, that Jesus just basically informed the Pharisees that they are blind. That is the main thought as now he's coming into chapter 10. It's not a whole new thought. It's not a new set of people. It's the same people that he's talking to. So in chapter 10, he's going to go from the imagery of light of the world in chapter 9. He's going to move into the good shepherd and he's the door, etc., etc. Now, <clears throat> he says in verse 1, uh, I should say in chapter 10, he's talking about sheep and he's talking about shepherds. Now, let me give you background 
so you can understand. Because as Jesus speaks these things, you have to know that the listeners, the original hearers, they know visually exactly what he's talking about. This is not new to them, okay? If I, we, if I sat in here and talked about a certain kind of car, whatever this that, you would know it from our society that we live in. We understand that. Jesus is going to talk about something that they saw every day. They just knew it firsthand. It's what they lived. Sheep and shepherds. Now, <clears throat> the sheep, as, as earlier uh, when I was saying that, you know, they, they didn't raise sheep for food. They didn't eat the sheep. That, that would be disastrous for them in that they raised the sheep for the wool. And so they would shear the sheep and then they would sell the wool uh, because that's how they made their income. That was a very important thing for them. So if they lost just one sheep, that would be a loss of income. Not just the loss of the wool of that particular sheep, but the ability to produce more sheep, which would be more income. So they're very, very careful about protecting their sheep. So these shepherds would guard the sheep from thieves and, and from predators. <clears throat> and these shepherds, because they always kept the same animals and they didn't kill their sheep for food, they knew every one of their sheep. I've read a lot of background things on these things and certain scholars and different archaeologists who've been in those areas, they've watched the shepherds in those places and they see the shepherds will give the sheep, their sheep, individual pet names because they've had them for so long and they would give them these pet names and they would know them by name and the, and the sheep would know the shepherd's voice uh, when, when the shepherd would call out. So here's how it works. The shepherd would never let the sheep graze at night. There's no way because there's thieves and there's robbers out there and there's predators that would come and get the sheep. What they would do is, as they're grazing, if they were near a village, they would take their sheep into like a communal uh, fold of sheep and they would guard the sheep there. But even then, I've read where when they're all in there together and say there's three different flocks of sheep and the shepherds would call their sheep and the sheep would come to that shepherd because they knew that shepherd's voice and they would know it. Now, when they were out, say, traveling around for weeks at a time, uh, grazing their sheep, and there's no villages, there's nowhere to take their sheep, what they would do is they'd find a cave or some kind of enclosure and they'd put their sheep in there for the night and the shepherd would sleep at the very front door or area of where their sheep are so that no thieves or predators could come and get their sheep without in encountering the shepherd. The shepherd was going to defend those sheep no matter what. Now, another thing about the shepherds that they've seen is that the shepherds never would drive their sheep from behind. The shepherds would always get out in front of the sheep and lead those sheep and they noticed that the shepherds, as they're going along, because the sheep knew that shepherd's voice, the shepherd would sing. And sometimes he would even make up a kind of a funny language, not in their language, but a funny language that those sheep, after hearing that shepherd so many times, they would just know that voice. And so when Jesus starts talking about these things, these people here, um, they completely understood. And so now when you read chapter 10, of the sheep and the shepherd, it makes perfect sense. They're probably, the original hearers, are, they're understanding this. But Jesus is going to use all this as he brings the situation of the blind beggar in John 9, as he brings it into chapter 10. 
And it's, it's going to be kind of pretty interesting the way he does this. Now, I think i got about four points that you've got to fill in for right there. Okay, maybe some sub points or whatever. But number one, the Pharisees are thieves and robbers. In your notes, the Pharisees are thieves and robbers. Now, <clears throat> in verse one, notice again, it says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a what? A thief and a, and a robber. Okay, now, as they're guarding their sheep, what these thieves and robbers would do, sometimes if they could, they would tag team and one would jump over whatever embankment where the sheep were. They'd grab a sheep, slit the sheep's throat to kill it, throw it over to its, his accomplice, and they're trying to get as many as they can stealing the sheep. That's what these thieves and robbers would do. And the point is, in, in, in verse 1, is that they just want to, they want to fleece the flock. That's all they want to do. Now, who is Jesus specifically talking about at this moment? Back in chapter 9, what group in verse 41? It's the Pharisees. They're the thieves and they're the robbers. Remember that. Now, has Jesus talked or exposed the Pharisees as thieves and robbers before this moment? And the answer is yes, he has. Now, mark it right here and look back at Mark chapter 11. Just very quickly, turn to your left. Look at Mark 11. Now, watch what Jesus has told these Pharisees before in Mark 11. <clears throat> Remember, he cleansed the temple. He overturns the tables of the money changers. And then look at verse uh, 15, 16, 17 of Mark 11. Jesus says this. Then they came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who are buying and selling in the temple and overturning the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who are selling doves. And he would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple. And he began to teach and say to them, here it is, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but, here it is, you have made it a what? A robber's den. And so he's already exposed them as thieves and robbers. And so now he carries this whole idea right here in, uh, in John chapter 10 that these Pharisees are thieves and they're robbers. Now, think of a thief and a robber. They're two different worlds, are they not? A thief will break into your house, hopefully, when you're not there. But a robber will confront and rob and maybe even hurt a person. We see that in the Good Samaritan story, do we not? So there's a difference between a thief and a robber. Jesus is telling the Pharisees, you're not just a thief, you're a robber. You're not just a robber, you're a thief. You're both these things right there. So you think it made them pretty happy? No, they're just getting wound up about right now. Now, <clears throat> side note, very important, I, I think, to remember is in verse 10, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. Now, this is not talking about heaven. Don't think it's talking about heaven at this moment in time. The fold right here that it's talking about is Israel. This is what it's talking about. Now, <clears throat> you can kind of confirm that if you go to verse 16. There's, you don't have to turn there yet. We'll get there early. There's, he has other sheep that are not part of this. So this is a whole different idea he's talking about. But these thieves and robbers didn't enter the right way. Jesus is the good shepherd because he entered the prescribed way, the promised way. He did it the right way. The Pharisees are thieves and robbers trying to get into the fold of the sheep of Israel the wrong way, okay? So now, let's, let's move on. Verses 2, 3, and 4. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. 
and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. Now Jesus is the good shepherd, and he enters by the door. He has not called himself the door yet. He's going to do that in a little bit right now. He enters through the door. We are the sheep. Now notice in those verses, and I think I have one, two, three, four little fill-ins in your notes there, the marks of Christ's sheep. This is the marks of being a, a follower of Christ, a, a sheep of the good shepherd. The first little note, bullet point is this. They know their shepherd. We find in those verses that they know their shepherd. The second bullet point we see there is they know his voice. So first they know their shepherd. The second bullet point is they know his voice. The third thing we see in those three verses we just read is there is a personal relationship. He calls them by name. Huh. And then the fourth thing we find in there is that he leads and they follow him. He leads and they follow him. So the first one is they know their shepherd. The second one is they know his voice. The third one is there is a personal relationship. He calls them by name. Good. And the fourth one is he leads and they what? And they follow him. Okay, now, back to the opening question. How do I know that I'm hearing the voice of God? How do I know that that's the voice of God speaking to me? Well, let me give you some, some practical ways of looking at this because I think every one of us in this room, we want to know if God's speaking to us, right? I mean, I want to make good decisions. I want to be led by God. I want, I want to know. And so here's some simple ways to know. Do you read your Bible regularly? He's speaking to you. Every time you open up your Bible, is it God's word? Therefore, is God speaking to you? That's one way right there. So to say God never speaks to me, yes, he does. You ever read your Bible and get convicted? God spoke to you right there, man. He just told you straight what something needs to happen. That's one way. That's one of the ways right there. Now, secondly, think of it like this. Does the Holy Spirit live in every one of us? Yes. So the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. That means if the Holy Spirit, which he does, live inside of me, therefore my mind is Holy Spirit user-friendly. Is it not? My mind is Holy Spirit user-friendly. Now, let me explain that because I heard this term back in the late 80s and I have never forgot it and I use it to describe when God speaks to me. God lands, the Holy Spirit in me, lands thoughts upon my mind. That's the way he speaks to me. Thoughts come into my mind. That's how the Spirit of God speaks to me. I can give you from, for instances, and I've had many for instances in my life. Um, we sit here in this place right here on this land. How did this all happen? Well, I was sitting in, many of you know these stories. I was sitting in, I was at an Assemblies of God Ministers uh, a convention in Victorville, and I was sitting at a hotel there, and I was sitting in the room waiting between meetings, morning and evening, and I was just meditating. It was during the Columbine shooting in Colorado. I'll never forget it. And I was just sitting there by myself on the bed, and the thought pops in my head, very vivid, said, it's time for you to buy land for that church. And I'll never forget it. It was very clear. And I came back, and I said, guys, we've got to buy land. And be, a year earlier, they fought, the deacons fought me on it. A year later, when God spoke to me and said, it's time to buy land, they all said, okay. And I'm like, what, what happened a year ago, you know? Well, what's the difference now? Well, it was just God's timing. 
And I knew it. And so we bought the land. And so God drops thoughts in my head. Why am I a senior pastor? I can tell you why. Because in 1984, in November, I was locked into one of the bedrooms at our house, lights off, sitting by myself in the dark, just waiting on God, waiting on God. And the thought pops in my head. And I wasn't looking for it. I wasn't thinking about it. It's the last thing I ever thought about. He said, you will be a senior pastor. That was a thought in my head. And from that moment on, I knew I had to take certain steps to fulfill that dream in my life. But I knew without a doubt that's, that was God speaking in my mind. You know, I've been in counseling sessions, I couldn't even tell you how many times in my life. And in counseling sessions, every so often, you are in the middle of a war. And if you've never counseled, you don't know that. But you're in the middle of a war, you're watching two people go at it, and sometimes, and this is rare, but sometimes I'll go, I don't even know how to get them out of this. I don't even know what to say. It is so bad, it's gone down such a bad road, and in my mind I just go, Holy Spirit, please tell me something, man. Because all my experience is not working right now. And there have been times where I'm just kind of listening, they're talking, and after I've heard enough, and now after a while it's like, wah, 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 you know, I'm just joking, okay. But, and then the Spirit of God will drop a thought in my head that I wasn't looking for. I was not looking for it. And I go, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Can I tell you one of them? Because it was hilarious. This husband and wife were just going at it. This has got to be 12 years ago, 13 years ago. They're just going at it. And she had told me that she prayed for him to get saved, prayed for him to get saved, and, and he gets saved. And now she don't like him. She's mad at him because everybody in church likes him and stuff like that. And she's mad at that and everything. And I'm, and I'm sitting going. And, she's, and I finally had just, the thought, I go, God, what's that? And she goes, and, I, and it was like the Holy Spirit turned a light bulb on. I go, tell him I said hi. Turn the, turn the light bulb on and it said, she prayed for him to get saved. So everybody liking him is her fault. And I told her, I said, let me tell you something. And I told her that. I said, so you pray for him because if yes, and everybody likes him, yeah, they are, they are, they are. I go, so it's your fault. <laughs> I go, it's your fault. And she didn't know what to say. It was glorious. <laughs> it, was, it was so good. I walked away going, holy spirit, that was amazing, man. But that's called a word of wisdom, by the way. He gives you wisdom in a situation that you have no answer for. It's a word of wisdom. You find it in the manifestation gifts of 1 Corinthians 12. But he'll drop thoughts into your mind. And so the real question that about hearing the voice of God is this. Am I really tuned to hear the Holy Spirit? Am I tuned to that? And so let me give you some thinking on that, okay? Here's, here's some ways that I would suggest you tune to the Holy Spirit. And it's not in your notes. I, maybe I should have put it in there. But you got to remain childlike in your faith. Humble, dependent. If you're not humble and dependent and childlike in your faith, you're just not going to hear because Jesus said one day that he hid these things from the wise. Humble, dependent. Now, another thing is you've, if you're going to hear God's voice, you've got to expect that he's going to talk to you. If you're not expecting it, then you're not going to look for it. Doesn't it say that we are children of God and that we're led by the Spirit of God? 
We're his kids. Expect he's going to talk to us. Now, another one is <clears throat> when I hear the voice of God, when the thoughts in my head and I know it's God, respond. Do what he says. Now, if you feel like you are not hearing God, you haven't heard him in a long time, maybe you got to go back to what he told you a year or two ago or six months ago, and he said, do this, and you didn't do it. So why would he tell you any more if you're not going to do it? Does that make sense? Go back to that moment in time and start doing what he told you to do. And then another thing you got to look at is, what is our motivation? If my motivation for listening to God, God tell me stuff, is for, it's just for me, me, me. He ain't going to talk to me. I'm not going to hear it because he'll tell me things to do that only glorify him, not glorify me. So it can't be about me. It's got to be about God. Amen? So if we kind of just follow those little patterns right there, I guarantee just those simple things, you will start to recognize when God is landing thoughts upon your mind or when it's just you, or when the enemy's throwing thoughts upon your mind. And we'll get into the enemy's thoughts in a second when he talks about a stranger's voice. Now, point two in your notes, and that's this. <clears throat> Le- oh, next one, here it is right here. Learn the difference between God's voice and the stranger's voice. You got to learn the difference. God's voice, stranger's voice. Verse five says this. A stranger, they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because... They do not know the voice of strangers. Oh, that, that's pretty clear, right? So here's what you got to do. I have to do it all the time. You have to sort out contradicting voices in your head, correct? You got to sort them out because there will always be contradicting voices in our mind. Those are strange voices. The stranger, they will sim- simply will not hear. Can I expose? Let me give you one, one strange voice. Can I give you one? There are many that are very consistent, but I'll give you one. Because I run into this, when I talk to people, or count, I run into this consistently. And here's a strange voice that'll pop in your mind. You sin. Shocker, you sinned, you know, because, you know, you're a sinner like me. But then the strange voice will come in to your mind, and you'll feel like, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble with God. Oh, no, you can't worship. What are you coming here worshiping for? You know what you did Wednesday? Don't, don't you lift your hand up. Don't you worship God. Oh, no. Serve. Don't go to that thing and be anything to serve. Oh, no. You've been a bad girl. You've been a bad boy. You're in trouble now. You got, are you kidding me? Don't even talk to me right now. This is God speaking. Don't even talk to me. Anybody ever feel any of those things? That's a strange voice. That's a strange voice. Because God doesn't talk like that, does he? He never talks like that. But a lot of people feel like, well, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble with God. No, you're not. Where in Scripture does it say you're in trouble with God? Nowhere. Nowhere. You have been declared innocent of all sin. God looks at you through the blood of Jesus and through the Son. I mean, you're clear, man. And so when that strange voice comes in, another way you can weigh out the strange voice, like in that particular case is, where he says in Romans 8, 1, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're walking around condemned and you feel like God's condemning you, is that a strange voice? Yes, that's not God. That's not God at all. So you have to learn to recognize what does Jesus' voice sound like? What does his voice not sound like? Remember I told you earlier, sometimes they would put him in communal pens and they would know their shepherd's voice. 
and they would go to their shepherds, but they won't go with that shepherd over there because they know this voice, and they know that's not the voice of their shepherd. And that's what you have to learn. What is the voice of God, and what is the voice not of God in your mind? Now, <clears throat> question, moving on in this idea. Specifically, um, who would be the strange voices or the stranger in these verses? The Pharisees. They're the strange voice. And so if you follow the thinking from chapter 9 into chapter 10, they are the strange voice. Now look at verse 6-7. This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand. <laughs> Shocker, huh? What those things were which he had been saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, here comes another I am statement. I am the, I'm the door of the sheep. Now we know that he's giving them a parable, a story, this whole thing right here. And then he makes the next I am statement. He says, I am the door. Now, what do doors, well, doors, the big question is, in the door, uh, it, it opens you and you're moving from what to what. That's what doors do. You leave one area, you come to another area. When I left the house this morning, when you left the house tonight, you left your house, you went through a door, correct? You left, the door opened, you left, you closed the door, and you moved towards another place you came here tonight. So it leads me from something, it leads me to something. Now, hold that thought. It leads me from something, it leads me to something. Keep that thought in your mind. Look at verse 8. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Hmm, that's interesting. Look back at that verse. Does it say all who came before me were thieves and robbers or are thieves and robbers? Oh, they are. So it's present tense. So who's he talking about? The Pharisees. He's laying it out right there that these guys are the thieves and they are the robbers. That's what he's calling them. So now they understand specifically, clearly, and everybody also knows he's talking about those Pharisees. They are terrible shepherds. Now, do the Pharisees know specifically when he calls them thieves and, thieves and robbers, do they know specifically what he's talking about? The answer is what? Yeah, he's equating them. He's labeling them, and they know exactly where he's labeling them from. Keep your marker right here. Look, we'll see one segment of it. Turn the Old Testament to Ezekiel. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. If you go to Psalms, you've gone too far to the left. But to go to Ezekiel, look at chapter 34, where Ezekiel, under the anointing of the Spirit of God, he writes down characteristics of false shepherds. And these Pharisees know this stuff. They know exactly when Jesus speaks these things where the reference comes from. Now watch this. Ezekiel chapter 34, 1 through, we'll go up to 8. Watch. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? So now we've got a problem, don't we? These false shepherds, they just feed themselves. They don't feed the flock. Read on. You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with wool, and you slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. In other words, you're fleecing the flock. Read on. Those who are sickly, you have not strengthened. The diseased, you have not healed. The broken, you have not bound up. The scattered, you have not brought back. Nor have you sought for the lost, but with force and with severity, you have dominated them. They are not compassionate. They are not healing the people. They're making the people worse. Verse 5. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd, 
and they became food for every beast of the field and, and were scattered. In other words, there's no shepherd guarding them. There's no shepherd protecting them. There's no shepherd guarding the door uh-uh, to fight off the predators. Verse 6, my flock wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. My flock was scattered over all the surface of the earth, and there was no one to search or seek for them. In other words, when they went astray, nobody went looking for them. Verse 7, therefore you shepherds hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my flock has become a prey. My flock has even become food for all the beasts of the field for lack of a shepherd. And my shepherds did not search for my flock, but rather the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Now, when Jesus, come back to John chapter 10, when he tells them uh, in verse 8, all these people are thieves and robbers. They know because they know their Old Testament. They know what he's talking about. So I think he's, it's amping up and they're just getting angry and angry with him because he's exposing them for what they are, just like he did on the Temple Mount. So it's getting a little bit worse now. Now, let's go to the third point because we insert now the blind beggar to put it all together here. The blind beggar walked through the door of salvation. Remember, when you go through a door, you leave one area, you go into another area. So you exit and you enter. Uh, the blind beggar walked to the door of salvation. Verse 9 and 10. Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it, what? Abundantly. Now, we know the thief actually is also the devil. We, we know that. So, but let's put it in a context here to give a little bit more understanding. <clears throat> did the false shepherds in John 9, these Pharisees, did they even care for the blind man? Say no. No, they didn't care for that guy at all. They cast him out, did they not? They excommunicated him, did they not? They could care less about the guy. That's what thieves and robbers do, don't they? They just use you, abuse you, and they dump you. And they throw them out of the door. Once they throw them out the door, excommunicate them, who opens the door for him? They throw them out, they excommunicate him, and who's there to open the door for him? Jesus opens the door because Jesus is the what? He's the door, right? And he's a good shepherd. So now you see how it moves? It moves from, you've been dumped out, you're leaving through a door, but you're coming through my door into salvation. And they're saved. The word saved, you know what it means? Simply means the idea of delivered, being safe and sound. Now you're safe and sound. You were not safe and sound with those people. They excommunicated you. Now you're safe and sound here. And then he gives the man abundant life as he gives you and I. Right? Yeah, abundant life, that's interesting. All kinds of things people try to make out abundant life. What's the number one thing people try to make abundant life out to be? Money, possessions, everything else. Not necessarily that. In fact, I would leave that at the end of the list, personally. What is the abundant life? Isn't peace? Knowing your purpose? Knowing you have a destiny? Knowing that you can face death one day with no fear? Knowing that the Holy Spirit's with you through every trial, through every circumstance? Isn't that more of abundant life? Yeah. There's a real security and a real comfort in all of those things. Think of the blind man. Think of the blind man. Did they make that man feel like a loser? Do you remember why? 
Do you remember the opening of John 9? Remember what the disciples' theological question was about his blindness? They said, was it, his, was it his parents? You're right, Heather. Was it his parents or him who sinned that it would be what? Born blind, which means he could have, they're insinuating he probably sinned in the womb, huh? Remember how we said how ridiculous that was? And we said, how, how would they make, how would this guy feel all of his life? Because they're teaching him that your blindness is a result of your sin in the womb. You can't sin in the womb. But they made him feel that way, and they made him feel like this loser all his life. And you know, there's plenty of people that feel this way. They've been made to feel like losers all their life because somebody's told them certain things that just are not true. So they excommunicate him. The door opens up, get out here, but Jesus opens the door to this new life, right? And you got to walk through that door. Now, I remember, uh, some of you remember this story. I mean, it, it was 18 years ago, and uh, bought doors. And it was a Saturday night. We were still meeting at, at Centennial High School. We didn't have facility. We, didn't have, we were building this at that time. And it was a Saturday night, and all of a sudden, I hear somebody trying to open my front door of my house. And they would not stop. And they're, and there's open up, open up. And I'm like, am I hearing this? And so at my house, there's stairs, and I sit at the top of the stairs, and I see the guy, and my doors back then, they had this, like glass, and this, you couldn't see right through, but they had a little spot. And he'd be looking, and he goes, open the door, open the door. And it's midnight, Saturday night. And I'm sitting there going, okay, what am I going to do in this situation here? What should I do? And Olivia's now next to me. And finally, after about five minutes, and I finally turned to Olivia, and I said, and I, and I said I'm going to go get a bat, wake up Nathan, I'm going to give him a bat, we're going to go around, we're going to get the, no, 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 call the police. I go, no, but I really want to hit him. No, I didn't say that. Okay. <laughs> I, didn't say that. I, I didn't say that. Okay, I felt, no, I didn't feel that either. I, but, but, she go, no, just call the police. Call okay, I'll call the police. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't stop. He's trying to open that door. So I see the police car, and they tell me, he goes, they, the police said, don't go outside. I go, but I'm written. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> and the police come, and they get him and everything. And here, here's what happened. There was a party across the street. It was lit up. It was loud. He was at that party. It was his sister-in-law. He left the party. He came back, and he thought my house was the party house. He was so drunk. <laughs> My house was dark. There were no lights on. There was no noise. But he was trying to go through the wrong door. All he had to do was turn around. There's your door over there, buddy. There's the wrong door. And that's all anybody has to do. We've been trying to, before we met Christ, we're trying to go through the wrong door. That's not the way. And we come to Christ, we turn around and go, that's the door. That's where the noise and the joy is at. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> just turn around and go to the right door. But that really happened in our life, and I still have that bad. But anyway, that's another story. Now, number four, and that's this. Jesus contrasts himself to the false shepherds. Now, now Jesus contrasts himself to the false shepherds. Now, let's read here, 11 through 14. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, that's the fourth I am statement. I am the good shepherd. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who is not the owner of the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and he's not concerned about the sheep. Hmm. I am the good shepherd. 
And I know my own, and my own know me. Okay, he is, he is stated, I am the bread, I am the light, I am the door, and I'm the good shepherd. That's the fourth I am statement. There's three more to go in John. When you use the word good, it means intrinsic, intrinsically good. This is something you want to pattern your life after. Good. Now, do you remember the story of the rich young ruler? Anybody remember that story? He comes up to Jesus, and he asks Jesus a question. And it's in your notes there, the, the marker, but we're not going to turn there. He says, um, he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What does Jesus tell him? Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. When Jesus makes that statement, you find out something about goodness of which they believed. They believed that only God was good. So when the rich young ruler calls Jesus good, what is he calling him? God. So when Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, what is Jesus calling himself? God, because only God is good. That's right. Now, now you get it. Now, back to the issue of the contrast between the good shepherd, Jesus, and these Pharisees, the bad ones. So the big question is this from these verses. What makes for a good shepherd? Well, there's four things. I didn't mark it for you, but here, verse 11, the first thing you find is the good shepherd dies for the sheep. Does he not? He'll lay his life down for the sheep. The second thing we see about a good shepherd is in verse 12, he doesn't run when there's trouble. He sticks it out. He stays there. He doesn't leave. Mm -mm. The third thing you find out about a good shepherd in verse 13 is he cares for the sheep. He has concern. He thinks about those sheep. He thinks about their welfare. He thinks about how they're doing spiritually. And the fourth thing we find in verse 14 is he knows them. He knows his own. He knows them by name. Now think about this. He knows them by name. He knows them personally. Jesus, in John 1, way back when we started, when they bring Simon Peter to Jesus, Jesus had never met Simon Peter. Didn't even know his name. And then Jesus looks at him and says, Simon. He calls him by name. Remember that? When Jesus is walking through Jericho and Zacchaeus is there, the tax collector, he climbs up the tree, remember? The sycamore tree? He's never met Zacchaeus before. And Jesus says, Zacchaeus, today I must stay at your house. Calls him by name. Remember that? Remember after the resurrection and everybody runs there because Mary Magdalene says, hey, he, the tomb's empty, this and that. Now we don't believe you because remember, in those days, they would not consider a woman's testimony as valid. Remember that? Which is another case for he did rise from the dead. And so um, they come there and the tomb's empty and they all leave. Does Mary Magdalene leave? No, she hangs around and she's crying. And she sees who she thinks is the gardener. Is it the gardener? It's Jesus. And she said, oh, if you've, gardener, if you've taken away his body, tell him where he's at, I'll go get him. And he, Jesus says to her, Mary. And once he said, Mary, she knew it was him. Because he called her by name. That's right. See, we have this personal relationship with our holy God. He knows every one of us personally by name. Name. He doesn't forget your name, okay? Now let me show you something. I, it's not. I didn't write. I didn't put it in your notes. But do me a favor. Turn to Psalm eight. I have it in my notes here just to talk about. It, but I thought, you know, it's better if you read it. I really like this, and you may think, ah, oh, it's okay. But I like it a lot, and I'll feel much better after sharing it with you. This is um, David, 
And, and, and let me read it, and let me, let me show you, show a few things. Now watch this. Remember, the idea is that God knows you. The shepherd knows you. He knows you by name. Look at verse 3. David writing says this. Remember, David was a shepherd out there in the middle of nowhere, taking his flock around. When I consider your heavens, he's talking to God, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him? And the son of man that you care for him? Okay, look up. Imagine yourself like David. You're lying out there at the night in the desert. You're guarding the doorway of the, of the sheep, guarding them, and you look up in the night sky. Have you ever been in the high Sierras and been able to look at those stars or out in the desert? It's an amazing thing. And he's out there, and he looks at the vastness of the universe, and he realizes how big that is God's creation and how small he is in comparison to it. And he thinks to himself, who basically am I that you know me? But the key is that you do know me. And you think about me. God, you created all this and you think about little old me. He knows us all by name. Every one of us. And he calls us by name. Let me give you one more cool tidbit in this vein here. Or not kind of in the vein. Look at verse 5 just real quick. It's just because I like verse 5 a lot. Yet you have made him a little lower than God. And you crown him with glory and majesty. So we've been made a little lower than God, right? Evolution says we've only evolved to be a little bit more than the animals. God says, oh no, you have been created, you didn't evolve, and you're just a little bit lower than God as a created person of God. See the difference? That gives you great value and identity in your life, that you're not someone that just crawl out of the out of the ocean and evolve. No, it's it's the opposite. God says the opposite of what evolution tells us. I like that verse, so I thought you'd enjoy that one. Now, turn back to John 10. Last thing, let's take it home. Number five, the other sheep are the Gentiles. Other sheep, yeah, the other sheep. Remember we talked about the other sheep earlier? The other sheep are the Gentiles. Now, we'll finish off with verse 15 and 16, and I'll explain what that is. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father... I laid down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep. This is Jesus talking. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. Huh. So I got this other flock of sheep besides this flock of sheep and I'm going to make them into one and they're all going to know my voice. I'll be one shepherd over all of them. Now, the question is, who, is, who are these other sheep? What's this other flock? And the answer is simple. It's the Gentiles. If you're not Jewish, guess what you are? Gentile. You're a Gentile. That's us. We're the other flock of sheep. And that day, in the second chapter of Acts, when the Spirit came down in power, day of Pentecost, and the church was born, Jew and Gentile alike came into this one flock led by one shepherd, Jesus Christ. This is the church age that we live in right now. Now, let me show you so you know how some people have taken this as a heresy and made it into something it is not. Then we talked about this um, two weeks ago in questions beforehand, um, but the Jehovah's Witnesses, they will say this, 
pertaining to that verse. The Jehovah's Witnesses first will say that they are the 144,000. You find the 144,000 in Revelation 7 and in Revelation chapter 14. Um, the problem happened when they got bigger than 144,000. Now what do you do? Now what do you do with the rest of the people? Well, now what they've done, once that happened, they said, well, there's this other flock. And this other flock is not going to go to heaven like the 144,000. They're going to have paradise on earth, and they're going to have the thousand-year millennial reign, which there will be one, but not the way they say it is. And in that millennial reign, here's what they say, they can work these extra, more than the ones who are not part of the 144,000, they can work their way to perfection during the thousand-year reign. Can you, work, can you work your way to perfection? But that's what they're telling the ones that are past it. This is what cults do all the time. Once they hit a snag, then they're going to pull a verse out, like this verse, and make it into something that they can never, ever back up with Scripture, ever. And by the way, the 144,000 of which they say the first 144,000 were, it can't be them. Because I always ask Jehovah's Witness about the 144,000. I say, are any of them female? They, oh, yeah, of course. I go, well, Revelation says they're all men and they're all Jewish. So which is it? So I'll ask them questions like that because it doesn't make any sense. But they'll always, always take a verse out. A cult will always do this. Take a verse out, twist it, bend it to try to fit something that they want you to fit it in. But you'll never find that in Scripture. It'll never be backed up in Scripture. The other flock, it's us. It's the Gentiles. And we came into the kingdom of God at that time. So we're done. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, as we pause here. First off, that we can hear your voice. We can hear your voice, and you, you speak to us. You know us by name. I pray that we learn and we cultivate this, un, to be able to really listen and really expect to have the Holy Spirit drop thoughts upon our mind. Because you do lead us and guide us. And God, I pray that at least we take that home tonight. God, thank you for giving us abundant life, peace and purpose and destiny and no fear of death and everything else, God. No matter what our circumstances are. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. We all say, Amen. 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 If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.